There's a movie right now in theaters that is called Paul, Apostle of Christ. Has anyone seen it? Paul, Apostle of Christ? I have not, but I have seen, I can only imagine, twice. And I cried both times. So it is a powerful movie. And if you haven't seen it, run right out to the theaters and see that. Take someone with you. It is a powerful, powerful movie. But Paul, the apostle of Christ, is also in movies, in the movie theaters. The movie tells the story of how Paul, and it tells the story from Luke's perspective, who Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And so he tells the story of Paul in the book of Acts, and the movie tells the story of Acts and pertaining to Paul and how he was really a terrible persecutor of Christians. And then he became a Christian and called as an apostle to the Gentiles, and he goes on to evangelize the known world and writes a good portion of what becomes the New Testament. Of all of Paul's writing, there is a glimpse given to us as to what commandment, what sin, convinced him that he was not righteous apart from Christ. We find it in Romans chapter 7. Are you familiar with that chapter? As a Christian, you need to be familiar with it. It's a chapter that can be encouraging and perplexing at the same time. It is in this chapter that the Apostle Paul says this, For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Oh, why? Why? The context of the chapter explains how it is, how, how, how it is, what, what the commandment of God, the law that revealed that sin and evil was present with him. This is what Paul talks about in chapter 7 of Romans. Paul says, apart from the law, I was fine. I was alive. You put it that way. But when the law came, it revealed the true reality of my condition, which is death. When the law came, I died. What is interesting is the commandment that Paul uses to illustrate that point. Which one was it? Of all the commandments, and even if you narrow it down to the Ten Commandments, which one of the ten was it that Paul used to make his point in chapter 7? It was this, this one. It's actually the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. It is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You'll have it up, I'll have it up on the screen for you. It says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet. This is the 10th commandment. All the other commandments seem to be dealing with something with, with the flesh. Either a word spoken by the tongue or a, a, an action or a deed. But this one seems to deal with the heart. What goes on in the heart? The tenth one reveals the sins of the heart. When, when you think of it, this commandment is inescapable for anyone. So what is Paul's conclusion about the law and sin and the example that this one brings you shall not covet? His conclusion is this, that it kills. Picking it up in Romans chapter 7, verse 10, it says this, you'll see it on the screen. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. 
For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Tonight we're going to look at this sin of covetousness, or as we might call it, envy. Envy. And it is a killer. Sin is a killer, and envy is certainly a killer. So we're going to take a look at this. I gave you the title, Envy Versus Trust, but I also gave you the subtitle, Women's Wrestling. And what we're going to see tonight is a battle royale of women's wrestling. In one corner, Leah. In the other corner, Rachel. Let's see where we need to go. Should we go the route of envy or should we go the route of trust? Trusting God, trusting the process, trusting that he is going to bring that which he has for us into our lives. Amen? Amen. So let's look at this first point. If you're taking notes, envy is a killer. Pick it up, Genesis 30, verse 1. It says this. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Billa. Go to her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Billa, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Billa conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's made Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came home out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she, so she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me 
another son. Envy is a killer. Let me tell you, envy is a killer. Envy is a sin and sin kills. So we have got to guard our hearts and minds concerning envy. And probably nothing could be harder than to undertake that task. Envy will cause you to do things that you might not want to do or wouldn't normally do, but when envy comes, when envy is allowed to exist, when covetousness is allowed to, to, to overtake your heart and mind, you will do what you don't want to do, what you maybe never do. Here in Genesis 30, we see that this bigamist marriage with Jacob, Leah and Rachel becomes ground zero for envy. Yeah, ground zero for envy. That's where we're going to just take, it's just going to be a picture. It's, it's going to be a motion picture. Make a whole chapter, movie out of this chapter and, and call it ground zero for envy. Or women's wrestling, which I, I like that title too. <laughs> now in general, I have always leaned towards siding with Rachel and this story, this Genesis story, Historically, as I think about how I have viewed this, I have always, maybe without really thinking about it too much, just kind of sided with Rachel in the whole thing. She was the one that Jacob loved. She was the one that J Jacob entered into the first agreement with Laban, and he said, I will work seven years for your daughter, Rachel, and, and all that. And then it was, of course, Laban who, who deceived Jacob and gave him Leah first, and then he worked and you know took Rachel as his wife as well and worked another seven years for Laban. But really, this chapter doesn't paint a good picture for Rachel, really, when you really look at it. It shows her to be a very envious person, a very covetous person, and not really trusting the Lord in the way that she should. So we need to take a look at this. We see that there is something at work in Rachel that is a killer. What is it? Envy. Envy. Verse 1 tells us that she envied her sister because she was having, Leah was having all these boys for Jacob. Remember last, the last part of 29? Leah was just, remember, she was that baby machine. She popped out four boys in a row. One, two, three, four. There you go. Four boys. Rachel is just not, nothing's happening, and she's just kind of going mad. How do you know? Well, you pick it up, verse 1 here, it tells us. She envied her sister. So envious was Rachel that this is what she, she came to Jacob, and she said this. Turns out to be an interesting statement for her. She said, give me children or else I die. Give me children or else I die. What's interesting is the state, statement comes back to bite her. It's not the statement, but the attitude, the envy. Again, it's a killer. So Rachel then does something crazy. Remember, I told you that envy, covetousness will cause you to do things that are crazy, things that you might not do, things that you would think in, in the sameness of your mind, no, I would never do that. I don't want to do that. But you do it. And in that covetousness and envy, Rachel 
gives Jacob her handmade villa. And her thought was this, I will go toe to toe with my sister Leah, even though I can't have any children, I will have children through my maidservant, Billa. So Jacob, here you go. Here's my maidservant, take her. And Billa gives birth to a son and his name is Dan. Rachel names him Dan and Dan means judgment. So Rachel feels that God has judged the situation and she feels vindicated. So when Dan's born, it's like, oh, oh, see, okay. Dan, judgment, God has judged. And don't I feel better about the situation? Well, maybe she named Dan, Dan. But as we read the rest of the chapter, we find that she doesn't really feel better about the situation. She's still going toe to toe with Leah. So that, that sentiment, that feeling doesn't last long. And it never does with envy. When you let envy reside, covetousness reside in you, it doesn't just lay down or go away. And so Billa conceived and delivered a second son. And he was given the name Naphtali. And the text tells us, gives us the meaning of this name, which is wrestle. Wrestle. That's what she named her son through this maidservant. Wrestle. I mean, this is very interesting. These, you know, read in the Bible how they gave names. Very interesting. Look, I'm having a fight with my sister, therefore you're called wrestle. <laughs> okay, now go to first grade. <laughs> wrestle, wrestle, are you here? Yes, I'm here. Here's what David Guzik had to say about this in his commentary. Relationships in this home had broken down to the point where Rachel openly acknowledged the baby competition between her and her sister by naming this new baby Wrestle. And again, I mentioned that it was Dennis Prager who said, and I think I can remind you for the, over the next several chapters, that all the families in Genesis are, were dysfunctional, Okay. So if you have a little bit of dysfunction, it's okay. We'll just work it out, bring it to the Lord. Wow. A wrestling match. Leah's response. How did Leah respond to this? Okay, so she... So my sister gives her handmaid to uh, Jacob. Well, two, two can play at this game. So what does she do? She turns around and gives her handmaid to Jacob. Zilpah. Zilpah gets pregnant, delivers a son, and Leah names her Gad. Now, in the English translation, the authorized version, or the, we read it out of the New King James there, it gives us the definition of Gad is to say, like, here comes a troop. And the, the idea that, that the translators kind of went with there was to say that, you know, Man, there's just a whole lot. I mean, we've got four women involved in this thing, and there's a lot of babies being born, and here comes a troop, right? Gad, right? Although there is another translation that is very possible, not only that, but probable, and probably the one that it is, that Gad would be better translated as good fortune, and that she feels like 
that she's blessed and God is continuing to give her good fortune. Even though she, you know, pumped out those first four babies and now Rachel's doing her thing and now she's like, oh, okay, well, I've stopped having children. Here, get, let's get Zilpa involved in this thing. And, 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 and hey, I, mean, I still have good fortune. So this, I mean, at this point, I mean, we're just full tilt. We're, this is just full tilt, a battle royale, WrestleMania, you know, one. You thought WrestleMania one was somewhere in the 80s with Hulk Hogan and all that. No, 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 this was, this was WrestleMania one. I think I've got a picture of female wrestlers. Yeah. So anyway, so. Okay, you can take that down. Zilpa gave birth to a second boy, and he was named Asher. And Asher means happy. Leah was more concerned about the status the child would bring her than about the child himself. It wasn't like, oh, he's going to be happy. It's like, oh, I got another son through Zilpa. Now I'm happy. Now I'm blessed. I mean, it's, it's envy. It's a battle royale. It's, um, it's self-centeredness. It's everything. It's, it's, it's just craziness. But it even gets more interesting. Stay, stay with me tonight. Reuben's, Reuben, Leah's firstborn son, has gone out into the fields, into the wheat harvest, and found some mandrakes. And he brings them back to his mother. Mandrakes. What's that? Well, mandrake, the mandrake, or as the word suggests in the Hebrew, love apple, was a rare small plant of Middle Eastern origin that grew close to the ground, much like a strawberry vine. And its white blossoms would come, from that would come round red fruit, which looked like small apples, believed to be aphrodisiacs. In addition, because eating the carrot-like root was believed to enhance a woman's fertility, mandrakes were highly valued. So you've got this kind of combo here. You've got this mandrakes, the fruit of the mandrake and the root, and, and there's, I could go a certain direction with it. I'm, I ju I'm just not going to go there. But just Google mandrakes and look it up for yourself, okay? Um, but so, so you have this aphrodisiac and you have this, this root um, that is supposed to be uh, kind of a fertility, uh, you know, situation. Increased increase uh, fertility. So... Rachel sees that Reuben has these mandrakes, and she goes to Leah and says, give me some of your son's mandrakes. <laughs> this is, I need these mandrakes. Trust me, Leah, you don't need them. I need these mandrakes. I need these mandrakes in more ways than one. I need these mandrakes. And Leah just, you know, she stops her and she says, Okay, you want my son's mandrakes? You've already taken Jacob from me. Jacob is my husband. You've already taken him from me. And you want my son's mandrakes? And so Rachel says, okay, here's, you can have Jacob tonight. This is crazy. I told you it's crazy. Okay, this is the Bible, folks. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> 
So she says, you can have Jacob tonight. So they made a deal. So Jacob comes in from the field, and Leah meets him and says, you're mine tonight. It, it gets, gets, gets bizarre. <laughs> you read this, and you're like, really? Leah tells Jacob. They're, they're married, right? But she tells him, look, you're mine tonight. I've hired you. Okay? So it is just a mess. It just keeps getting crazier and crazier. Rachel is envious of Leah because she's giving Jacob children. Leah is envious of Rachel, of course, because Jacob loves her. And so it's just crazy on top of crazy on top of crazy. And then one person does this, the other one does that, the other one comes back with this, and then this happens. It's just craziness. What happens as a result of this is Leah has a fifth son and names him Issachar. Issachar means reward. And so she feels like that this is a reward. Leah saw this son as a reward from God because she was generous enough to offer her maid to Jacob. And then Leah conceives and gives birth to another son, her sixth son, Jacob's 10th son, and he was named Zebulun. And Zebulun means dwelling. And she said in her heart, certainly by now, I've given him all these sons. Now my husband will dwell with me. Now my husband will live with me. So Zebulun means dwelling. And then God remembered Rachel. And he opened her womb, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Joseph. And what what does this mean? It literally means, may he add. Now think about this for a second. You'd think that she would have said, okay, God has remembered me. God's given me a son. Thank you, God. But you know what she says? She says, he's Joseph. May he, may he give me another one. He, he names her. May he add another one to me. Remember what she said in the opening verse. Jacob, give me children or I die. Right? It's going to be interesting to see what happens when she's given birth to that second one. I want you to hear a commentator, one commentator, what he said about Rachel concerning this whole thing of what she, even just the naming of Joseph here. And what he does is he contrasts Rachel from someone who would later come in the Bible that also was barren and asked God for a son. And the contrast actually couldn't be more stark, really. Listen to this. Observe a difference between Rachel's asking for this mercy and that of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Rachel asked, Rachel said, give me children or I die. Hannah asked God for a son. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10, I'll have it on the screen for you. This is what Hannah said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Rachel envied. Hannah wept. Rachel must have children and she died of the second. 
Hannah prayed for one child, and she had four more. Rachel is importunate and permatory. Hannah is submissive and devout. If you will give me a child, I will give him to the Lord, Hannah said. Let Hannah be imitated and not Rachel. Wow, what a contrast. What a contrast, and I think it's powerful. It seems to be a pretty clear application of the text tonight, don't you think? Envy is a sin that brings destruction in its wake. Faith and humility bring God's answer for our lives and ultimately his provision. And so the first point, this whole first section here is just really kind of giving us the picture of that the envy, covetousness is a killer. It will destroy you if you give place to it. But the second portion of the chapter tonight brings the opposite principle to our minds, to our hearts. It is this, although envy is a killer, trust is what brings provision. Let's pick it back up in chapter 30 of Genesis, pick it back up verse 25, and it says this, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country and give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, you know how I've served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now, when I shall also provide for my own house. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall give me, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the lambs, and gave them into his hand, the hand of his sons. And then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. And then Jacob separated the lambs And made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flocks of Laban. But he put down his own flocks by themselves and he did not put them with Laban's flock. 
And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the, the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so that the feebler, feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Trust brings provision into your life. Jacob, at this point, has developed a sizable family. You've had this competition, this wrestling match of conceiving children, and he has a sizable family. And so he goes to Laban, his father-in-law, and, and to request that he leave, to go to his own country and to go and to start to build up his future for himself, the future of his family. And Laban tells him something interesting. He said, Jacob, I have learned. This is what he says. You can look at there in the text. I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. What is very interesting about this particular verse is literally, it, this literally means in the Hebrew that he, that he learned, where he says he learned it by experience that he was blessed. He learned it by, death, by divination. This is what it says in, in, the, in the Hebrew. Uh, and and, we, and we, we will come to learn that Laban actually is someone who practiced in the occult. And we will see this when they, when they finally do leave the house, that Rachel, and we won't get into it now, but the, you know, Rachel actually steals all of his idols. And um, so we'll, we'll, we'll cover that when we get to that point. But anyways, we know that, that Laban has idols and that, that he is practicing this um, kind of occult divination. And, and I, you know, it, it seems to me from reading the text and certainly what Jacob's responded to him that he could have learned this without the divination. He could have learned what he learned through divination. He could have learned with just opening up his eyes and seeing that since Jacob had arrived and Jacob was tending his flocks and doing all this work for him, that he had become a blessed man. And that that, that was blessing that came into his household. Be, why? Because Jacob was an industrious person, Jacob was a man who, who, who worked. He worked seven years for Rachel. He was deceived. He worked enough. He got Leah. He said, look, I'll, I'll work another seven years. He worked 14 years for two women. It's a lot of years. He was industrious. He was a hard worker. And it seems to be that God doesn't necessarily call... Uh, You know, when you look at the men that God called in the Bible, they're, they're, they're not of the, of, of the most perfect of men. In fact, they all have like these major glaring flaws. But they seem to be industrious people. Jacob or Moses was on the backside of the de desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. It's like they're all working for their father-in-law. <laughs> you know, if you're working out there for your father-in-law, get ready. God's going to come and call you to do something great. And so this should tell us something that trusting in God and being industrious and working with the Lord, that when you do that, guess what? Blessing comes. God's going to bless that. God, God honors that because there's, there's something to that, that, that when we go out and, you know, when we engage ourselves in, in work and ingenuity and, 
and, and, and, and hard work, that there's an aspect of that that's a, a, it's a planting of a seed. And when you plant a seed, when you work the ground, we'll use that analogy, when you work the ground and you plant the seed, that there comes a harvest. And the problem is it's a lot of people that want to harvest, but they don't want to go out and plant, they don't want to go out and plow the, plow the ground. You want to harvest? Guess what? You got to go out there with the plow, plow the hard ground and turn it over. And then when you've done that, then you got to go back out there and you got to sow some seed around. And then you got to go out and make sure that there's no rocks, there's no this or that, thorns and thistles, and so that that harvest can come up and so that God can bring about that harvest that he wants to bring about in your life. So Jacob comes to Laban and he says, look, I need to leave. I've got a big family and we need to, you know, I need to take care of my, my family and take care of my business. And of course, Laban doesn't want him to leave. He's been prosperous since Jacob was there. And so he gives Jacob a proverbial blank check. He tells him, name your wages and I'll give it to you. Here, what's that? Blank check. Just write down the number. Just write it down. I'll give it to you. Yeah, I'll give it to you. So does it? So Jacob, he pushes the blank check back to Laban. He says, no, I don't want anything from you, but let's do this. And he presents a deal. He will take care of the flocks and all the sheep and goats and all the ones that aren't a solid color or brown among the lambs. In other words, the ones that are, have a spot or a streak or brown among the lambs, those are going to be his. So let's make this deal. Continue to do this. All the ones that are speckled or streaked or brown among the lambs, those are going to be mine. All the rest will be yours. And this will be easy because we'll be able to tell. We'll be able to look at the flocks and we'll be able to tell which ones are yours and which ones are mine. Does it have a spot? Does it have a streak? Is it brown among the lambs? Then it's mine. If it's, if it's a solid color, then it's yours. So this is, this is easy. And Laban jumps on the deal. And why is it that Laban is, he literally says, oh, yes, let it be. Let's do this. Here, sign here. <laughs> He's anxious to sign this deal because I don't know a lot about animal husbandry, okay? You know. Anybody here? Anybody know anything about animal husbandry? <laughs> but according to the little that I did research on this, that you don't get a lot of spotted and streaked. You get a lot of the solid colors. And so this, on its face, wouldn't be a good deal, really, for Jacob. It would be a great deal. It would be a deal that was kind of slanted towards Laban. So Laban takes the deal. And Jacob takes the deal. And he says, this, this will be my pay. So what's going on here? What's Jacob doing? I think Jacob is going to trust God. He says, let, let my righteousness be the judge here. He's going to work the thing. Maybe he's learned some things about animal husbandry. Maybe he was the greatest animal husbander <laughs> ever that we see. Somehow he figured out how to get the flocks to produce the spotted and speckled. And then he took the, the, when the flocks brought forth strong ones, he would 
mate those and not allow the other ones to mate and then give those feebler ones to Laban. So he worked the system. He trusted the process, but most importantly, he trusted God. And God brought just a tremendous increase into his life. God blessed him because of this. God just poured out a blessing upon him. And we'll get to that last verse here in a second, but I want to talk to you. Just, I think this was, this was very, it came up as I studied this, and I was like, this is a point that needs to be made. And, 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 and I'm not trying to make a political point here, okay? But let me just tell you that um, the Bible deals with everything. God, God's word is truth, Correct. We all in agreement? And so if God's word is truth, then the principles of God's word are going to come to bear upon all areas of life. It's not like there's a circle around political thought and says God's word deals with everything else, but political thought is this own island where God's word does not penetrate in that. Leave that alone. No, I think I'm one to believe that, that there's a truth about the way that we should go politically. Now, there's a political thought that is alive and well across the earth, and it deals with this. It deals with a, this idea of wanting everyone to have an equal outcome, to have an equal outcome, that everyone will have an equal outcome. Here you go, and here you go, and here you go, here you go, and here you go, and we're going to come over here, and here's your equal portion, and your equal portion, and your equal portion, and your equal portion, and and this is the political thought, okay? So I'm just going to challenge it biblically, okay? It's not biblical. The thought is not biblical. Well, Charles, how dare you? How dare you come up with, it's not biblical. It seems to be fair. It seems to be something that's fair. Well, read your Bible. From cover to cover, God's word talks about that some would have 30-fold increase, some are going to have 60-fold increase, and some, guess what, are going to have 100-fold which seems to be that even what Jesus told people about harvest in their life was not going to be equal, but that there was going to be an increase based upon what he wants to bring into your life, based upon the work and the effort and the ingenuity that you put forth, and then that everyone's going to be blessed according to what you do, but there's not going to be this equitable outcome. And the equitable outcome thought process comes straight out of envy and jealousy, and it's exactly what Leah and Rachel had going on, and it produces in the hearts of men and women something that will bring absolute destruction across this world, and you only need to go back just a few years into last century and to see what that political ideology brought wreak havoc across Asia and everywhere else that where it was implemented. And I mean, I mean look... God is passionate for the hearts and lives of people. Don't you know that God wants you to be blessed? Don't you know that God wants you to have a harvest? Absolutely. God does. But God doesn't want us to embrace things that are not biblical, that are not of him, that are only going to 
actually give place to the very sin that will kill and bring destruction into the people's hearts and lives. And honestly, I think that's actually, that's, that's pretty solid. That's, that's, that's a pretty solid presentation. And I think that we can actually, anyways, well, that's good. Um, well, let me follow it up. Okay, so this 30, 60 fold increase that, that, that it talks about for, for this life. Some, some will, you know, Jesus actually says, if you leave houses and you know, whatever for my sake, he says, some are going to have a 30-fold increase, some 60, some 100. You know, you're going to be blessed. So there's this, this harvest that we, that we take place here. And we, we, we can look around and see that there's an obvious blessing of the Lord, but it's not, it's not an equitable outcome, but it's a blessing of the Lord. But neither is heaven like that. Neither is heaven. You say, no, wait a second. If we're all saved, don't we get to heaven? Yeah. Salvation and the entrance through the door is the baseline. But even when the Bible gets in and talks about rewards, rewards are according to the things that we do for the Lord and that there is a reward system. And so that, so that is not even an equitable outcome. Let me just say it to you this way, and I, I don't think I can say it any clearer or stronger, and I don't think the word can say it any stronger. This chapter, I think, really makes plain that the covetousness and the envy of Rachel and Leah was actually a destructive thing. And as we'll learn, her firstborn son, Joseph, she, she does get added another son, but in the birth of that child, she literally passes away, she's buried on the side of the road. Rachel, the beloved Rachel, yeah, I've been to her tomb. I can talk to you about this. Rachel is buried by the side of the road at a PLO checkpoint. She does not make it into the cave that Abraham purchased in the land. And so it's, I think it's a great picture, folks of this idea, biblically, that envy, covetousness, is a killer of the heart and mind and spirit of man. But you know what is a lifter of the heart and mind and spirit of man? When, when man trusts in God and says, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to become industrious. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And there's a, there's a, there's, when, when trust is involved and trust of the Lord and trust of the process that God brings the provision that he has for you and me. And sometimes you look around and say, wait a second. Where's the provision that you have for me, Lord? Where's the provision? I mean, any time I've read, and I've read a lot of chapters in the Bible where it, look, where it begins with someone saying, I looked around at everyone else. And as soon as someone says that, where are you going? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on what you got going. Keep your eyes on your situation. Don't look around. And, well, I looked at those that didn't serve God, and they seemed to have it all together, and they weren't sick, and they weren't this. They weren't having lack. Psalm 73, go home and read it as your bedtime devotion tonight. Come 
In fact, this, the writer of the psalm says, look, I almost fell away from the Lord. Covetousness, covetousness will bring you to a point whereas the writer of the Psalm 73 said, I almost fell away from you, Lord. Why? Because I had covetousness and enviness and envious in my heart. It's when you release yourself off of that and say, God, I love you and I want to trust you and I want to believe you for everything that you have for me in this life and the life to come. And I'm going to honor you with the gifts, the talents, the time, the treasure, the abilities, my family. I'm going to do it all for your glory. I'm going to do it all for your kingdom. And when you say that, when you say that, son or daughter of God, you are going to be blessed and God is going to bring in a harvest into your life and you are going to be, I, I, I packed up too early. What am I doing? I forgot the last verse. Verse 43, look at this. Look at this. Verse 43, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous. The ancient Hebrew says it this way, the man burst out exceedingly, exceedingly. What? He exploded. <laughs> the man burst out exceedingly, exceedingly. And I was thinking about this as I was coming back from the concert. I was driving over here from the concert, and this is the thought that came into my heart. The default position for the child of God that is trusting in the Lord is overflowing, <laughs> is abounding. Not lack, not lack, not going, oh, well, look at them and look at them. No, that's of envy. That's of covetousness. That's not of God. What's of God is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and realizing that he wants to fill you, that he wants you to abound in every good thing. He wants you to abound in his love because he's abounding. Because he's overflowing in love, he wants you to abound. He wants you to abound in every good thing so that you can do what God has called you to do. And, and, my, and my friend, that is good. Go tweet that out. Just, just get that going on Twitter right now. Hashtag it on up. I am serious. One more, I will close with this. I thought about it. I thought if we were the type of church that had slogans, you know, <laughs> if we were that church that had slogans like, come visit us. We're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Or, so, you know, one of these, these types of slogans. I, I, this, this slogan just popped into my, 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 my mind. Feeling empty? Come to the Lord and be filled filled to overflowing. Amen? What do you need? What do you need? Are you looking everywhere else? You looking to the right and the left and that person and that person? Stop. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith and the one who wants to fill you to overflowing and give unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over.